The following is brought to you by Dustin Campbell, Frank Latuka, Olin and Angela, Michael Bolick, The Joe Q Car Show, Andy Beach, Nick Wood, Jim Wright, Will Harris, and Craig. Welcome, everybody, to the Politics, Politics, Politics podcast for 11-11, November 11, 2020. It's your old pal, Justin Robert Young. Got a great show for you today. We're going to discuss some of the recount, specifically why you know that this is not going well for Donald Trump. You just know. And I'll give you the key reason why, you know, and it's indisputable. We're going to look at some of the polls, uh, some of those state polls that we uh, laid out, and we'll finally close the loop on our, uh, on our, on our point spread for both the, the popular vote and the Electoral College. We're going to check in with our friends out in Vegas. We're in a perilous time right now with coronavirus, specifically with our economy. And there is no economy that is more bizarre than Las Vegas. And so uh, we will check in with our friends there, including uh, one show, one of the best shows in Vegas, in my opinion, Absinthe. When you go, next time you go, if it is operating, I, I, I demand you see it. It's not an option. You should go see it. It's a great, great, great show. They're open right now, how they're doing it, and the point of view from one employee who is not yet back with the company. Don't worry, though. They're comedians, so it's a funny interview. And finally, oh, it's so hard to say goodbye to yesterday. Andrew Heaton is, uh, I mean, possibly now I could look out of my window and possibly see him driving away from Oakland, his scamper rattling behind him. Uh, We did our last in-person 2020 election PX3 interview, and you will hear that at the end of this program. And I got to tell you, He saved the best for last. I initially wanted to just talk to him about kind of meta-journalism-y kind of things, with the news peg being that Neil Cavuto cut away from Kaylee McEnany giving a press conference. But if you want some inside the belly of the beast Fox News stuff circa 2015... Oh boy, you're gonna get it. Heaton, there's there's not a lot of like I was talking to a a very popular host. No, no, no. He names names, including one person, a person that you will know, that you have seen on your television, getting into an elevator in 2015 and telling Andrew Heaton 
in, in response to a question, how you doing? Great. Except for these fascists trying to build a wall. Who said it? Listen to the interview. But first... I draw your attention to an obituary listed from one Denise Ondish in Allegheny County, born 9 10, 1946, deceased 10 2020. And when you go to the Secretary of State's website today, it says that she voted in this election, effective November 2nd, 2020, a full nine days after Miss Ondish of Allegheny County passed away. This is not, excuse me. This is not empirical. This is not anecdotal. This is hard evidence. Ladies and gentlemen, the stylings of the ever persuasive Corey Lewandowski. That was from the famous Four Seasons Total Lawn Care press conference over the weekend in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Which is a whole nother thing. I want to take a meta view of of the recount issue. Mostly because I I have not taken it as granularly as seriously as some outlets have. And that is deliberately. Mostly because I think we are a bit a bridge too far for the kind of stuff that the Trump campaign uh, wants to do right now. They, they, they want to do a vote-by-vote vote reassessment of this race when I don't think that a vote-by-vote vote solution is going to get them what they want. What you're talking about right now is effectively a mirror version of the 2016 election where the margins state by state, are tiny. They're not big, but we're talking about the tens of thousands to hundreds of thousands. Which, When you're talking about a state with millions and millions of people, that statistically is not very much. But if you're talking about a recount or you're talking about harvested ballots, if history is our guide and prologue is premonition, then we're not going to get to that level of of votes beyond that there's a time sensitivity to this the big wheels of power in america turn they turn whether or not you like it or not and every minute that goes by where we don't have a game-changing announcement it's another mile down the tracks that joe biden's train continues to roll Click, clack, Boris Johnson calls. Click, clack, now it's Angela Merkel. Click, clack, now it's Bolsonaro and Erdogan. You have Republican senators congratulating Joe Biden as president-elect. Obviously, we had over the weekend the calls from the AP and CNN and Fox News. The simple fact is that if we're talking about States, plural, this is something that you cannot overcome. 
if we are talking about a state at all, this is something that is probably not going to go your way. The way that you know that Donald Trump has no chance at a second term as president is because we're not talking about a county. We're not talking about a number of votes in a county. Now, they've tried. This is Kaylee McEnany on Sean Hannity last night. Uh, we keep hearing the drumbeat of where is the evidence? Right here, Sean. 234 pages of sworn affidavits. These are real people, real allegations, signed with notaries who are alleging the following, among other contentions. They are alleging this is one county, Wayne County, Michigan. They are saying that there was a batch of ballots where 60% had the same signature. They are saying that 35 ballots uh, had no voter record, but they were counted anyway, that 50 ballots were run multiple times through a tabulation machine, uh, that one woman said her son was deceased, but nevertheless somehow voted. Uh, these are one of many, many allegations in one county. All right, so let's look at that. Wayne County is where Detroit is. Uh, Joe Biden won Wayne County by about 38%, uh, 285, uh, uh, sorry, 587,074 votes to Donald Trump's 264,149 votes. Donald Trump lost to Joe Biden in Michigan by around 150,000 votes. That's close. Again, man, this is 47.9% to 50.6%. In, in a populous state, that's, that, is, that is a very slim margin. But listen to the numbers that Kaylee McEnany just talked about. She said 60% of an unknown number of ballots were corrupted. Okay. If that number is 400,000 then we can talk. But in terms of the number of ballots she says were corrupted, there were 85. We got a long way to go. You're going to need more gas in the tank to cross the finish line. We need a specific number of corrupted ballots, and we need to know where they came from because you have to have proof to do it. Now, let me be clear here. I do believe that on the margins, there is voter fraud, be it through incompetence or malfeasance. But to get over a thousand is a chore. A thousand vote lead is a chore. To get over 10,000 is very, 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 very unlikely. And 100,000, in my opinion, is impossible. So unless you catch people red-handed, this is going to stand up. I don't blame the Trump administration from pushing this as far as they can. It was a weird election, and they're going to act like it's weird. But it's all over but the crime. Until you identify how many ballots and where they came from, then the Biden train will just keep rolling. All right, we got some news here for you. Uh, Alaska has been called for Donald Trump. Puzzlingly, puzzlingly that had uh, not yet been done, but uh, with 
75% of the estimated vote total. It is a blowout. Trump by close to 17 percent. Similarly, the uh, uh, Republican senator from Alaska will return to Washington. That means for sure we now have a showdown in Georgia for control of the Senate. We'll be talking a lot more about that because I'm going to Georgia, going to Georgia, January 5th, it's a special election runoff. Plenty of time to speak about that. All right. Other states, many have called North Carolina, and that Senate race has now been decided. Cunningham has uh, conceded to Tom Tillis. Well, I didn't know that uh, North Carolina has a history of one-term senators. Tom Tillis will be the first uh, one in, in a while, I think since Strom Thurmond, to do two terms. North Kakalaki likes to keep it fresh, apparently. I presume we are not going to get a call in either Arizona or Georgia anytime soon because both of those are still a squeaker. However, this does give us an opportunity to look at something that we used as a guide throughout the entire run-up to the election. And that is the real clear politics average of our polls. Join me, won't you? As we now review exactly how much of a guide those polls were. We begin, as we often do, in the greatest state in the union. Sorry for party Fellow Floridians, are we losing our edge? Are we losing our edge? Because we very expertly counted all of our votes. We weren't a particularly uh, uh, nail-biting state. I'm very, very, very concerned about Nevada usurping the fact that, that they're the crazy state that things might tilt on going forward. I, I got I got a lot of I got a lot of worry because we're not quite the rebels we used to be down there in the Sunshine State. Uh, these were the uh, final results here for uh, the Real Clear Politics average in Florida. They had uh, Biden. Point nine, so effectively Biden up by a point. That final result was Trump plus three and a half. So uh, this is something that we're going to refer to a lot throughout in this segment, and that is a standard polling error. You'll notice that whenever you read polls, the margin of error is anywhere between like one and five. So usually like three and a half is around where a standard polling error uh, is, is referenced when you're averaging polls together. And so the the error here, the difference between where the polls averaged out and where the final results were, were four and a half. So this was slightly more than a standard polling error. Let me also make clear that Real Clear Politics has gotten a reputation by the Nates of the world as being inauthentically Trump-leaning, that they delete big Biden uh, numbers so they can make it seem more competitive for Trump. So all these numbers that I'm going to read to you 
are on the conservative side. So there we go. Four and a half was the difference in Florida. Now let's go to Wisconsin. Wisconsin was shockingly close, and this one might be the record of uh, uh, the worst polling that we had seen. Final uh, Real Clear Politics average was uh, 6.7, so effectively a seven-point difference. Uh, the final result was within a point, 0.7. So a, a six-point swing from where the polls were and what it turned out to be. Now, this is a question. Is it really the polls getting it wrong if they're off by six points, but they do predict the winner? You guys can discuss that in your workbooks, but uh, a six-point difference is something that I think is fairly significant. All right, Real Clear Politics average in North Carolina was 0.2, and it looks like it's going to be within there. Like like that, it turns out the polling in North Carolina was fairly dead on. They had it being a very close race. It was a very close race, and the Real Clear Politics average had Trump winning barely. He won barely. Michigan was thought to be a big tipping point state. Trump needed it. It was the blue wall that he dismantled in 2016. It held up in 2020. The final on the Real Clear Politics average was 4.2. The final result was 2.7. So oddly enough, in Wisconsin, just a big, big, big error in in six points. Here in Michigan, uh, you know, A close but fairly manageable victory was predicted for Biden. That's exactly what came in. So credit to the polls in Michigan. Let's roll south to the newly uncrowned predictor of presidential races. So goes Ohio. So goes the nation. So sorry, so sad that that is no longer the case. They break their longstanding streak of being able to prognosticate the winner of the White House as they went but 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 big for Trump. Real Clear Politics average was uh, one. He was up one. He wins Ohio by eight point two. So polling-wise, that was kind of a reverse of Wisconsin. Wisconsin had it a big blowout, turned out to be really close. The polls in, in Ohio said that it was close, it turned out to be a big blowout. That is a 7.2% error in the polls. Here's something else that is very interesting. We spent a lot of time talking about Texas. Texas, y'all. We're talking about Texas. Final Real Clear Politics average is 1.3. Final result was 5.8. So, a bit of an indication that the polls were more bullish on Biden in Texas than he really wound up being competitive there. And that margin in Texas might increase a touch as more and more votes continue to be counted in that very populous state. But let's also understand that 
Ohio was wilder about Trump than Texas was. That is a trend to watch, but a fairly healthy polling error here. Uh, we are we are beyond a a standard polling error in the Lone Star State. How about some polling that uh, went in uh, Biden's favor? A a, a a error in Biden's favor. Uh, Georgia had Trump. Uh, a real clear politics average had Trump up one. He will probably lose by less than one. By the way, that's a ditto in Arizona. Arizona might be the the uh, most accurate of all these. Uh, they had Biden, uh, Real Clear Politics Average had Biden winning by 0.9. He'll probably win by slightly less than that, but you are within a point, which means you did your job. Nevada, not quite. Nevada, the Real Clear Politics Average was 2.4. It'll probably be within a point in Nevada as well. So you want to know what? In re-looking at all these polling averages, there were some big swings and misses. And in general, the polls favored Biden. Trump overperformed in, in most of these examples that we gave. But in the races that were really close, they wound up being really close. With the exception of Ohio, that was a blowout, even though the polling indicated that uh, it was going to be a nail-biter. You know, if, if, if Nevada, Arizona, and Georgia are all going to be like recount states and the polling had them all within three, if not a point, then you do got to give the devil their due right there. But again, man, let me just say this. If the polling is imperfect and we know it's imperfect, then it is perfect. Does that make sense? Like, we need to know that these are divinations, that these are flickers in the flames. And sometimes they are going to accurately predict things, and other times they're not. You can't put so much faith in it, and I don't believe it is the kind of exact science that we pretend it is when we add up a bunch of polls and then give it percentages to win. I don't think that that makes us smarter. I honestly think that it makes us dumber. And I think that it reinforces narratives that actively hurt campaigns. You know, I I do buy the idea that you are energizing the other side by showing good or bad polls. And when we we look at it in a way that, oh, well, if we add all the numbers and divide all the numbers and then weight all the numbers and and then we come up with a bigger, larger number, that that means bigger, larger truth. I, I, I just have a hard time believing in that. But still, I think they're useful. They're just one piece of the puzzle. But now, for the moment you've all been waiting for, depending on how you bet, we had our official PX3 lines. Our popular vote line was Biden minus five and a half points. He is right now edging up to 3.4% more votes than Donald Trump. So that would be Donald Trump covering in the popular vote. And I'm going to go ahead and assume that we can give Georgia, Pennsylvania, Arizona, and Nevada to Biden. That would give Biden 306 electoral votes. 
and Donald Trump 232. That means that Biden will cover the 54 electoral vote spread should that hold. I think odds maker wise, I did pretty well. I think five and a half was was a was an enticing number beforehand. And considering we came within 20 or so electoral votes of uh, of, of 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 the final result with that 54 number, like I'm liking it. I feel like I had a decent read on this election. I got to say. Now I'm sure I, uh, some of y'all have come out of the woodwork a little bit. Some of y'all have been like, oh, I thought you were going to apologize to Biden. I thought you were going to apologize to Biden. I don't really think I need an apology. All I ever said about hi to Biden, that strategy, was that it was risky. I still think it was risky. I do think that we have a lot of lessons that we've now learned about the validity of door knocking, about the validity of a ground operation. But I still think that seeding the narrative to your opponent like does not work all that often. It took a lot of chaos on the Trump side to make that work. If, if there would have been one spell of like six weeks where things had calmed down, I kind of feel like it would have hurt him more, but it didn't. He's the president. So no, I'm not out and out apologizing, but maybe a small. Maybe it's a little bit. How about I do one of those non-apologies? Like I apologize if you believe that I was unfair to Biden. I apologize to anybody that is wrong in assuming that I unfairly criticize Biden. There we go. You're getting the official PX3 non-apology apology. Politics. What you're about to hear is part of a longer interview that I did with the Ice Cream Social podcast. Uh, they are a hilarious comedy show out of Las Vegas, and they have made a, a, a solemn oath to try to keep politics out of their comedy show as much as possible because they know that that's, you know, appreciated. That being said, they they had made mention on their show that they wanted to have one episode where they just got their yayas out. I volunteered to be a part of it. And uh, uh, for a certain portion of it, I just commandeered it and made it a PX3 interview, specifically... Uh, catching up with them based on the fact that we talked to them months and months and months ago when things first shut down in Las Vegas. And you're going to hear that right now. Uh, hey, can I can I ask you guys a couple questions for, for PX3? Oh, yes. awesome. Yeah. Uh, all right. So the last time that we had you guys on was, uh, uh, I think, probably about a month into the shutdown. Uh, Vegas has begun to come back alive, including uh, uh, the show that, Jacob, you are back at. I, I presume, Paul, you, you were there. You are not back there, not at least in yet. the capacity that you were mm -hmm. before. Uh, but what is that like? How much online is is Vegas? And Well, let, let's start there. How, how online is Vegas compared to pre-shutdown, if you were to put a percentage on it? Oh, compared to, say, 
January, February of this year, yeah. I would say Vegas is at 65% right now. Okay. So so what what is not, is it just capacity or are there things that just, still just aren't in there, existence There are still right whole now? hotel casinos that have not reopened. Uh, there are several that are still kind of being thought that they probably won't reopen. Uh, one that was a, a very pleasant surprise this last week is the Rio, uh, the home of Penn & Teller, announced that they will be reopening before year's end. Uh, they didn't put a specific date on it, but they, they have said that they will be reopening. But there are still several casinos that are not open. And in the ones that are open, uh, capacity, yeah, it's, it's way down. It's way down from what it was. Uh, and the people are being brought in uh, with lower prices, you know, the, the, the price on, on hotel rooms, price on food, price on uh, what entertainment there is in, in most cases is, uh, is, is down to entice a few people to come in. Uh, most of our people that we're seeing come in right now are uh, drive-ins. They, they are people who are driving in from California, Utah, Arizona, with a few, you know, a sprinkling of people driving in a little bit further, but mostly from those three states uh, just coming in for weekends. Uh, you go into the casino on, say, a Wednesday evening, and it's pretty empty. Even the, the big dog casinos are, are pretty pretty sparse right now on a weekday evening. The weekends, it looks a little more normal. But the week, I would say that a Saturday night right now looks like a normal Wednesday night. Uh, all right. One, one more question specifically about this show. How weird has it been uh, at, at, at Absinthe? You, you guys are, you, I saw the big write up in, in the newspaper. Yep. Uh, but yeah, how odd. So weird. It's so weird to do a show during a pandemic. It's so weird to have to have safety measures in place. We have all kinds of safety measures in place. I'll, I'll brag on my company for a minute. Not my company, the company I work for. Uh, Absinthe, yeah. the the show at Caesar's Palace uh, in Las Vegas here that that uh, that I work for and that Paul has worked for in the past, uh, they are doing a spectacular job of putting every single safety measure in place that they can conceivably and realistically put in. Uh, everyone who works there gets tested uh, weekly. Uh, if there is a positive test, and we've had uh, I think three uh, total, none of and none of those people have have gotten it from. Uh, someone on site. They, it was all people who were who were coming back to work and discovered before they came back to work that they that they had it. Um, yeah. With with one exception there, and even that one, we think that she had gotten it somewhere else, and she did a wonderful job. She self reported symptoms, went went straight home as soon as she felt uh, felt a little under the weather, tested, found out that she had it. We have contact tracing going there, uh, so. If anybody that anybody comes into contact with, uh, they get tested immediately. Uh, the audience is set up outside in zones, and you're only allowed to zone with the people that you are there with. So kind of your pod that you have showed up to the show with, you're allowed to be with them and no one else. You're brought into the, into the theater by those zones. You are seated according to those zones. Once you are seated... That's where you stay. I mean, if you have to go, if you have to get up to go to the restroom, then you go to go to the restroom. But uh, but other than that, you know, you get drink service at the table, all of that kind of stuff. Everybody is sitting sitting at a table, uh, so there, there's drink service at all of the tables uh, because we are down to uh, I believe 150 
capacity versus about wow. 650 normally. We had that that show in in the past was a holes to elbows. Like oh, you yeah. were you were you were on top of each other. The performers were on top of you. So yep. that is now a a very spacious VIP exactly. uh, uh, arrangement. And we we had to shift. We had to move the whole show. So we had to move the show from our main stage, which is in the center of our theater, over to a side stage, so that we could set it up more proscenium style. And uh, so I mean, we really did. We we spent two weeks retooling the entire show. Uh, I mean, it, it's it's been very very bizarre, and it's still weird. I mean, it's it's weird when you see uh, your friends that you that you work with every day. And I mean, some of us have worked there for a year. I mean, I've worked there for uh, nearly seven years. And so, I mean, these are people that I know really well. And when you see them for the first time after being away for seven months, you know, your first uh, your, your your first thought is to go up and give them a give them a big hug and, and, you know, try to try to catch up with them. And everyone does the same move. Everyone's shoulders kind of creep up a little bit like you're ready to to give somebody a hug and everybody kind of takes a half step towards each other. And then everyone remembers, oh, oh no, we, we can't do that. that that's, a, yeah. that's a that's a thing we can't do right now. And that is that's a weird mind fuck to, to deal with daily. And it's just, you know, if somebody twists their ankle in their ass, well, I would also normally imagine... everybody goes right up to them and, and checks up on them and you can't do that. Yeah, uh, I would also imagine uh, a super weird situation would be uh, unemployment, which is what uh, Paul has uh, been mm-hmm. going through since the uh, beginning of the lockdown. Uh, where is your head at? Like, I, I presume that now that at least things have opened, there is like a glimmer of uh, uh your your job at least there being something that that could be coming back there's le- at least a roadmap in a in a way that there wasn't before but where's your head at in general general uh, uh, yeah just uh, i don't know it, it, it it's we i mean my wife has been on the front lines pretty much from the jump she got back early she's retail she works in one of the malls and um she's been you know just at it so I've I've gotten a lot of my info from her on how it's all going. And it's you know, it it differs week to week. Uh yeah, I, I mean it's it's I'm very glad that there are uh like you say, there there's like some paths that they're opening up, but I'm still very trepidatious about the whole situation, especially when we look at where the numbers are going for cases and hospitalization. I just, yeah, I, I don't think we in Nevada those numbers aren't going down. They're not going down at all. We've hit records uh, the last two days. In fact, record numbers bigger than when we first went into our you know little mini lockdown. And I guess the governor was going to say something again today. I don't know what he said yet, but he was going to have another conference today. So I haven't seen anything on that exactly. But I don't, I don't. I can't wrap my head around how you make it safe when people can just fly in anywhere, anytime. Yeah. There's no quarantine. There's no tracing at the airport. There's no, it's just, you know, come on in. And I, you know, a part of me yeah. sees, sees the necessity of that from a financial standpoint, but, 
I mean, is, if, if there was ever a town that it was a necessity that any Jamoke can fly in and get drunk yeah. and spend money, it's Vegas. Like yeah, that, yeah. that might be the only, like, like worldwide, that might be the number one city. I would agree, yes. and I and I get it, but it is, but that fact is so diametrically opposed to a true curbing of the trends that we're seeing. I'm still just kind of dumbstruck. Yeah that they're uh, to my eyes i still don't see a cogent plan maybe i'm missing something well and 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 no i i mean i think the real question is what is the best cogent plan it's it seems like right now the only worldwide foolproof plan is step 1 be an island nation right if you can be an island nation be then, New Zealand. Then uh, we've we've got some. We've got some. Yeah, you can be New Zealand, Australia, uh, Korea. Uh, although they're a peninsula, but effectively they have a a sea of uh, <laughs> craziness to their north. They, they uh, have yeah. North Koreans. Yeah, they have the o- ocean of North Korea to their north. They have an ocean of North Koreans, right? So, uh, like that that's not a border they got to worry about. But yeah, other than that, it, it's it's crazy. Even in Europe, where you can lock down countries. Uh, right. A lot more than you can lock down states here. It's uh, it's 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 pretty nuts. But uh, l- let me ask you this, Paul, because I know uh, having listened to the show that uh, you as a, a, a politically minded person has watched with great frustration uh, Congress dither on uh, any kind of covid relief. It was, if there was ever a moment where everybody would be cool with not getting everything they'd want so they could get something. Yes. It's when the economy yeah. is on the ropes and people are really hurting. Yeah. Uh, 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 what is, what is your take? If you could, if you could give uh, uh, Congress a, a piece of your mind, what would that sound like? Uh, it would be, you know, do it yesterday and go hard, go, go 2000 a month through March. You know, yeah. starting starting now through March, go two thousand a month through March for every person that got that uh, twelve hundred. Paul, give us a uh, give us a role play here. You are a a superhero uh, that is that is capable, like Superman type powers. You can you can melt people with your eyes and do all that kind of stuff. Uh, let's let's hear the speech that you give to uh, on the on the congressional and Senate floors. Oh, I'd be too busy yeah. zapping people's heads off. <laughs> I'd be far too busy just exploding <laughs> brains. Like, It'd be the end of the boys. <laughs> You'd be like, be like, exactly, yeah. You're like Homelander, just like, yeah, just like scorching all skulls. the hippies, talking to the AOC people. <laughs> that would exactly. be hilarious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It'd be, it'd be a bloodbath. It'd be a mess. Uh, yeah, there's just there. One uh, here's, but yeah, the, but you're you're absolutely right. You're absolutely well, right, uh, Justin. You, what? What politician looks at this right now and goes, you know, helping helping this whole country probably not going to be the home run I think it is. I'm I'm clearly overthinking it. <laughs> yeah, I should. Yeah, like, well, it turns what, out the answer to your question is at least most of them. I I guess, <laughs> I guess I don't get it. what's the what's the play. What's the are we because what's what's really got me worried. Is that uh, if Republican control of the Senate holds, then 
all of a sudden we're moving back to, uh, oh, we must live in austerity again. Like that's the next move. Well, the the yeah, I mean, it, certainly Pelosi does not have more uh, advantage now that she's looking at a smaller majority in the House coming mm-hmm. in January right. and likely no relief in the Senate. She's got the president she wants, but the president, to be totally honest, really wasn't the problem. No, nope. because uh, uh, he was willing to go as high as one point eight trillion. She wanted two point two trillion. So it's like, yeah. Th- there wasn't a, a was ton of, of wiggle room between that. No. Yeah. So we will we will see. Here's what I want to ask, because I, I feel like there are a few people on Earth that I feel if I asked them this question, they would answer it honestly. But anybody who listens to Ice Cream Social understands that Paul Mattingly's uh, excitement at not having to leave his home or go to work is something that is fairly unmatched. So yes, that's true. Uh, I, I will I will ask you this: uh, if you did get two thousand uh, dollars uh, every month until March, and let's say in a, in a world that looks very strikingly similar to the one that you have now, absinthe is like, hey, good news, we got uh, uh, we got we got your gig back. Come on mm-hmm. back into uh, work. How hard do you have to think about it before you tell them that you can cut? They can call you back in March. Pretty hard. Um, I do have to think about it pretty hard. I'm I'm in a very lucky position. Like I said, the wife is working full time already. Uh, I've got some savings, and I've even had conversations with my parents, who have straight up just said, "We'll pay you not to go back to work," because they're concerned. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now I oh, don't wow. think I would. I don't that's, think I would that's a take good, man. My mom, my mom, my mom hates me. Like I haven't even came close <laughs> to having that conversation with my mom. <laughs> I would not. I Justin's mom was like, what? Your workplace has COVID just running rampant. Go right. Get back to work. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. Would what? Not, oh, uh, oh, I'm sorry, pussy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I would not take that's them not up on that's that. Her, that's her affectionate <laughs> nickname for Justin. I would not take them up on that, and yeah. I've told them as much. As you know, it's very, it's a very kind, but, but I mean, that's you know, that's where I'm coming from. So I'm coming from a very lucky place, where if and when it does come to that, I can look at it a little more objectively and make the call, you know, as I see it. It's everything's just so fluid still right now. I just don't know, but I'm doing my part. Uh, I have worn. Thick grooves in the chair that I sit in, day to day. So I, I, I have just I have yeah. I many many times I because all I used to do was go toy hunting and when I had free time. Yeah. All I have now is free time. I don't go anywhere. Right. It yeah. took me till I don't think I went to my comic book store until God. When was that? September? Yeah. I mean, sounds legit to me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to fact check you. I on think it. late late August, late August early September was when I finally got up the gumption to go to my comic book store. And, and pre-COVID, a, you went how often? Uh once a month, maybe twice. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And uh and I um I did that more on the side of this is a small local business that I want to support. Yeah. Than anything. Yes. Yeah. And they're and they're doing uh, this, yeah. you know, 
there's six people in there at a time. You know? Everybody's masked up. There's only so many people in at a time. It's very, you know, it's even, it's that's far less than even my wife has to deal with at her work. So, I don't know, man. I don't know. It's super weird times. It's super weird times. I got to go pick I, up milk after this. And I'm like, all right, where, what's, what's my milk plan? Where am I, you know, what store? What's, you're, you're, I'm evaluating what's amazing. my list. You are, 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 you are pre-thinking out your milk route. Absolutely. Like what's the least risky milk stop for me? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know, man. Well, it's, it's crazy. I, guess, I can only hope. I can only hope that you milk leg it out. Uh, thank you. Uh, you uh, thank you. you go, milk leg uh, you 2020, your... baby. <laughs> uh, uh, all right, guys. Thank you. Thank you so much for, for answering uh, these questions. I know everybody who's listening appreciates it. Yeah. Thank you, buddy. Thank you. Even as we begin to put the 2020 presidential race in our rearview mirror, as I mentioned before, the party doesn't stop. No, 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 no. We keep on going. We've got a battle for the Senate happening in Georgia. Not one, but two races. And as I mentioned before, I'm going to be there back on the road on uh, the, at the beginning of January right after New Year's Eve I'm on a plane out to Georgia out to Atlanta and uh, we are going to watch these this this Leffler Warnock race we're going to watch this Ossoff Purdue race now on one hand it is a it would be an upset certainly low voter turnout for uh, uh, special elections, runoff elections in in anywhere, right? But Georgia specifically. And Democrats did not do super well down ballot in the 2020 election. So that trend would tend to hold. But with the eyes of the nation, Andrew Yang moving down to Georgia, can they pull it off? They being the Democrats. Two different flavors of candidate. Warnock, far more progressive than John Ossoff. John Ossoff already has got to feel like deja vu for him. The second time that he has been lifted to national prominence on a smaller scale race. First it was the House. Now it's going to be the Senate. Can the Democrats pull it off? Or will Kelly Loeffler rescue the fact that she was caught up in a COVID insider trading scandal. She was one of the crazy commercials that we highlighted toward the end of the 2020 cycle. Can she pull it off? Can Purdue running against Ossoff win? He would have already won if he were in most any state except for Georgia, where if you fall below 50%, you got to go to a runoff. The only way that I am able to be there for you is because you guys support. Because you guys head on over to TakePoliticsSeriously.com. The flights, the rental cars, 
the uh, hotels, everything is on your largesse. So we greatly appreciate your support through this 2020 election and everything that we will do going forward because there will be more on the ground stuff coming up. We're going to be safe, but I want one thing to be very clear. As a lot of people are reviewing what they put on their plate in terms of political media, I want to make sure that PX3 is not only great to listen to, but also something you're proud of. TakePoliticsSeriously.com if you'd like to support. Welcome back for the final time in our 2020 election season live from Oakland, California. Andrew Heaton. Thank you very much. A pleasure to be here. I will soon I will be a disembodied spirit on your podcast once more, <laughs> a bit like Al and Quantum Leap. Yeah. Uh, but for right now, we are occupying the same space, which is a pleasure. So I I want to do what I know uh, uh, all of our listeners have been clamoring for. We are both uh, uh, gatekeepers. We we cultivate our audience and we we feed them the nutritious information that they need. Uh, and and like in any story, we all feel that we are the protagonist. I would like to turn our gaze away from these politicians and issues and to the thing that really matters the media <laughs> uh, I was I was struck with something because it went viral yesterday uh, and we're recording this on on Tuesday so if something mm. else crazy happens yeah. then no this is why we're not talking about it that uh, Kaylee McEnany the White House oh I, I know her I, I've been drinking with her before I used to hang out with her at Fox well, there you I go. once gave her so, dating advice please continue so uh, uh, you already uh, dear listener you're already getting a, a more uh, informed version of this she uh, was giving a, a press conference, a political press conference uh, in favor of the uh, uh, Trump campaign and specifically their uh, uh, assertion about counting votes and recounting votes. And uh, she was cut off. Now, you've seen this uh, by CNN. You have seen this by MSNBC at this point fairly regularly. But yesterday, it was Neil Cavuto of Fox News. Whoa! Who cut her off. Oh, who I also know. Neil Cavuto cut her off? Neil Cavuto. Like, just like shut the feed? And and said, whoa, 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 in his Neil Cavuto kind of way and said that, uh, uh, you know, the, the specific language about the other side and fixing or rigging, I can't remember the exact verbiage yeah. on it, uh, was a bridge too far and uh, they would, they do not feel comfortable airing it oh my god is fox new or fox business growing its soul back this is such great news uh oh wow no i think it was news i think it was, was it, on, it was oh, fnc I, okay i think it was yeah which it tends was, to be was, even more pro-trump than F fbn yeah it was yeah it was the mothership yeah uh, so i i just wanted to get your general thoughts your meta thoughts on the idea of the media shielding people from news as opposed to a collective watching and dissection hmm. of the news because it, it's something that it goes against my personal instincts of like, no, we should have the wildest stuff out there. Maybe give a warning if mm -hmm. it's something gross or vile or, or something that would bring up horrible uh, 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 memories or uh, with, with somebody. But in general, if you're talking about political speech, which 
by and large is the the artful nature of spinning BS, then play it, show it, and then talk about why it's wrong if it's wrong. Point out why it's wrong if it's if it's wrong. What say you? I broadly agree with you. I think that there are two different camps right now that are really warring for the soul of media and culture. One of them is liberalism and pluralism. One of them is authoritarianism. And I am very much in the liberalism and pluralism camp. And we think that the solutions to problems is to give them greater sunlight. That if there's a, if there's a bad thought where there's a, a malicious or libelous story, that the way to handle that is to bring it out in the open, right? The other way of approaching this is to snuff out the candle. And, and this is the idea that I've, I vehemently disagree with, that ideas are inherently dangerous and that it's the job of gatekeepers to shield the masses yeah. from dangerous ideas which might metastasize in them like a disease. I fundamentally disagree with that worldview. Uh, that said, yes, <clears throat> I do think that there is... At least to some extent, you have to figure out what kind of stories you're going to focus on, and you have to figure out uh, to what extent. And that, and that is more specific in television. Yeah, where where you are in in the in the bizarre paradox of you have to narrow your focus so anybody who tunes into your channel is going to basically see the same thing as somebody else who tunes in two hours, three hours, four hours later, uh, but also. Fill twenty four hours, right? And I and this is where the cynic in me comes in. Now, I I don't. I've only met Neil a couple of times. He's a very nice guy. I have, I have a lot of respect for Neil Cavuto. Uh, he, he's a good dude. Like, there's I have I've a, always liked him. Yeah, he's like I've got to like. And I'll say like when I came into Fox Business, uh, the shows I worked on were basically like they didn't know what to do with us, so they just put us on Fox Business at like nine p.m. Yeah, and I and I literally think the first year that the the Fox higher ups didn't realize we were a show, they thought maybe we were like an infomercial, which is how we got away with so much. <laughs> uh, and like Neil Cavuto and most of the other guys on 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 Fox Business, because he was primarily an FBN personality at that time, were were ha like actually handling so financial he was, news. He was one of them that really was like trying to step Fox Business up yeah. to like another level because he he had been a like old school. Like a uh, uh, George W. Bush era, like right. not like Clinton era, but like yeah. George W. Bush era, uh, a Fox News staple. And yeah. then I guess as they went to Fox Business, then they hired the Money Honey. They bring on Cavuto, yep. and, and that's, that's their stable. Yeah. yeah, and 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 I'll I'll say he succeeded because if you look at the internal data of Fox, Fox News has massive audience. Fox Business is a much smaller audience. Fox Business makes more money because Fox Business has an older, wealthier population that watches them, so the advertising's worth more. They know so, everybody Everybody watching Fox Business can and will afford a Jaguar at right. some point within the calendar year, and, and so you can you can advertise it, and it's so, going to go so, so, the way so here, it will. Having not seen this interaction between Neil Cavuto and Kaylee McEnany, so I, I, I am shooting from the hip here, yeah. I would say that um, a, a journalistic outlet has a responsibility to say that the president is contending the election and is claiming that it is rigged. That that should be open information. Where I would say that you can you can draw a line though is if if um if in theory I contacted the White House, say say the political orphanage became the Joe Rogan yeah. of political podcast, right? Yeah. And I said I really like a statement from you, and they went great. We're, we've got an hour and a half statement from you uh, f that we'd like you to play. I would go. I'm not going to play an hour and a half statement, right? I would yeah. I would have to do that. I also think that within journalism there is a, um. 
I, I, I come from the even-handed camp as opposed to the unbiased camp. But what I mean by that is anybody that claims that journalists are unbiased doesn't understand how it works. No. And, and, I, and I don't mean that in the sense that everybody's crooked or that they're trying to put an agitprop. No. No. But what I mean by that is that uh, if like you and I were in New Hampshire yeah. uh, and uh, I was like, th- there's a billion things we could talk about. We like we could have gone to diners and talked to the regular Joe. We could have talked about shifts within the Democratic Party. We could have talked about socioeconomic flux. There's all these different could've things. Could have talked about what the Strokes played at the concert for Bernie. Yes. Yeah. It, there's 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 so many data points. You have to have some kind of filter that you're going to apply. You have to have a lens where you say, no, this is this is the the overarching schema that I am interpreting things through. And we're seeing that right now with the, the fallout from the 2020 election, where a lot of my more progressive friends view the 2020 election as one of identity politics, of uh, white straight males against everybody else, right? Whereas a lot of my other friends who are like either in the Bernie camp or are Trump fans view it as a socioeconomic referendum, where the, the 2020 election is about the working class shifting to the Republican Party and the Democratic Party shifting to uh, the, the professional people, right? So all of that happens. So um, like, I, like, I think if, if Fox had attempted to snuff out anything the president was saying, like just not let it happen, I would have a problem with it. But if they want to cut off Kayleigh McEnany before she goes on an agitprop ramp, that's fine. Yeah, I, I guess the question is, and this might might and, come and, and down here's to here's where the Senate. I don't think Neil would do this, but here's where the Senate comes into me. All right, uh, if if somebody was very cynical at Fox, and I don't think Neil is, um, cutting off Kaylee McEnany's good TV. That's good TV because you're going to get like you you know that Media Matters is going to talk about that. You know that like that there's going to be progressive outlets that are going to go. Even this guy cut off Kaylee McEnany, which is, which is so, how it went. Which is how right. it went viral yesterday. So it's so not that, that, like that is, that is partly the reason why we're talking about it, or at least that's the news peg to to the larger framing of. Uh, I mean, I, I guess part of this is also my low opinion of television news writ large. Yeah, that like. I kind of look at television news from a perspective of, well, you exist because newspapers can't just play all this stuff yeah. live. So if you're not just playing this stuff live, then like, what is the worth of you? Like, why would we look oh, to like the the dumbest, most knuckle dragging editorial decision making to to make us smarter? It's, like, no, it's 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 stupid. I like I say this is because also here. What one, one more thought on that? Do you believe that they would be cutting off press conferences, whether or not they believed them or not, like whether or not they they hated them, whether or not their blood was boiling and they were a cartoon that was like a thermometer red, like going up to the top until like steam flew out of their ears? If there wasn't Twitter and they weren't getting roasted about like why are you playing this? Why are you playing this? You're spreading disinformation. Like to me it is a reaction to other media critics that all watch like there's only one game in town when it comes to I need to watch a visual thing live. It's CNN, MSNBC, Fox News. That's pretty much it. Uh, uh, and, and if they weren't yelling at them, I don't think that they no, would. No, I off. I don't think so. I think that Fox is a world unto itself and and the particularly during the Trump years there aren't a lot of Fox personalities that are hanging out with it. Like, okay, so like for example, Shep Shep Smith, uh, who who I'm a, 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 a who I'm a great fan of, and is a great guy. I yeah. love Shep Smith. I was really sad when he left Fox. Now at now at uh, CNBC, is he it? Yeah. I hadn't heard that. I'm really happy for yeah, him. Yeah, no, I think his new show just started he, a couple weeks he ago. Had a, he had a thing in his contract where he couldn't work for two or three years. That said, he was making so much money, he was okay financially. But yeah. Shep's a great guy, by the way. Instantly, like, he, um, one of the first, like, like I'd gone drinking with him and his boyfriend and, and Kennedy, my boss. Like, yeah. that was how I 
got to tag along, right? Yeah. And this is like before he was out the closet, but like, like everybody loves Shep. And like uh, I see Shep in an elevator like three days later where this is in early 2016. Trump has not taken the primary yet. I get in the elevator. Shep's in the in the elevator. And I'm like, oh, hey, Shep, how are you today? And he goes, pretty good, except for all these goddamn fascists who want to build a wall. <laughs> <laughs> And, like, I'm at Fox, and I was like, oh, my God, I love you. I love that, like, because he'd been around so long that, like, he could do whatever he wanted. Uh, yeah. And he was basically, like, Cause he's he, gay, cause but he he's was, the Marlboro Man. Yeah, because um, he was also, like, a, a fave of, uh, of, of, Ailes. of Ailes, Such right? Such yeah. is the word, yeah. And, like, and Ailes, who had many, many problems, was loyal to his people. Uh, um, yeah, the... the uh, um, Look at that! Look at that little behind-the-scenes nugget that we get. We get for the PX3 audience. Yeah. No. 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 Shep Smith's a great guy. Um, I, I lost it. I lost my train of thought. I got completely. Uh, you were you were talking about Fox being a world unto itself. Yeah. And, okay. And, yeah. and they they would not um, be affected by this term and drawing. You did. Of okay. So you did have some of this stuff. So like like Shep Smith. This is why how I got onto this. Shep had a detente with uh, with um, John Stewart over at the Daily Show. They they they'd hung out at a bar one time. They they just randomly. They hung out at a bar. Their two respective teams were at the bar. Uh, Shep or John Stewart came over and started talking. They respected each other. If you go back and watch The Daily Show, they don't make fun of Shep Smith. Yeah. And uh, and it's because they respect him, as they should, because Shep Smith was on the news side. Yes. He was not an editorialist, and he did a very good job as a newsman. Uh, and and so when Roger Ailes died, there was this brief glittering moment where you could tell that Shep was like, hey, now's the time to build up the news wing. Let's, let's like, and, and they fired him or ousted him or whatever happened so yeah. but but for the most part though i think that the like 2012 there was still like people hanging out between like the romney camp and the obama camp i i think once trump happened fox nobody at fox was worried about doing anything that was going to piss off their progressive friends because they'd already done it by being at fox that 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 bridge was so burned that that i i don't think anybody was making editorial decisions about kaylee mack so, so you don't based so you on don't buy you don't buy the idea that post ales and and now with a uh, a uh, uh, lachlan uh, murdoch uh, uh now apparently like running the show there that uh, uh they are more trending toward like let, let's say a, a cnn or, no. or or msnbc at least in in terms of like what, they what, might eventually but they're not at the moment so so what i what i would say in in terms of understanding that idea is it's less that they are ideological because to me understanding roger ailes from afar was more he had the the steadfast idea that the Fox News ideology needed to be coherent. Everybody needed to know what it was. Everybody needed to be able to follow it. And if you were on the outside of it or the fringes of it, there needed to be somebody on a counterweight to say, okay, crazy man, like, I like your magic words, but let's really tell the story about the summer of shark or whatever. Whatever it was, it had to be coherent. And that is the opposite of what we see in our Twitter world, where you are always pulled into the story that is determined by the trending topic, by mm -hmm. whatever meme is, is is kind of going on. And in journalism critiquing, that's very often the like, oh, well, this person did this. CNN's been cutting off these Trump's things uh, all the time. MSNBC was doing it yeah, before. Yeah, I, I, I don't buy it for a second. You don't. You don't. No, no. I, I think... Um, 
I, I, th- I think that there is a, a tremendous amount of weight to the idea that somebody at the New York Times is going to pull a punch or throw a punch because Thanksgiving's going to be awkward or they're going to have an awkward time talking to their friends at the Washington Post or vice versa. I think that Fox is has been compl- Fox is on a different planet and there's there's very few people at Fox that are that feel restrained by what their progressive friends do because once they stayed at Fox come yeah. 2016 that was burnt and they like those those folks aren't like Megan McCain made the jump to the view and like she's yeah. it nobody else is going back and forth maybe Brett Baer and Chris Wallace if they wanted to could do it uh Shep did it but like nobody on the editorial side is going to be welcomed on any of these outlets nobody on the editorial side is like getting chummy and going a picnic so then how would you explain the decision to cut off the cut off the, the, the press conference. I, I hope that it's just Neil being integrative and, and Neil going enough is enough and, and like and she's, Neil just she's saying, going this too is far. My, this is my show. I do what I want. Yeah. Knock it off. Yeah, that is my hope. Yeah. That would be a sign. I mean, as much as uh, well, I, and, and, I, 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 I hate to agree with the kind of mainstream opinion on Twitter in general uh, because I am a, a really, really, really annoying uh, uh, you know, defiance, uh, you know, oppositional defiance disorder kind of guy. Uh, I do think that that is a sign that at least when Laura Ingram and Tucker Carlson are both gently nudging Donald Trump to understand that he can't win this race, that like they are looking for the whatever the future of Fox News is. And I don't think that they found it yet. Like because probably because not Trump's still there, and I, and I don't think I mean like you you brought up Rupert and you brought up Roger Ailes earlier. I, I've I've been to a couple of events with Rupert Murdoch. I've never hung out with him, um, but I will say I did literally try and hire a Rupert Murdoch impersonator when I was at Fox because I wanted to h- just hire a Rupert Murdoch impersonator <laughs> to have lunch with me just so people could see it. Yeah, that was the entire play. Apparently, there are no Rupert Murdoch impersonators. Tell you what, wouldn't that have been a coup? That would have been great. But, I mean that that should be that should be a very high priced menu item though. Yeah. Like that is a specialty. Man, I gotta say that if I'd done that though, if it was just people saw me with an elderly balding uh, Australian guy yeah. with no explanation, really would have given me some clout to throw around that elevator. <laughs> uh, my interpretation of Roger Ailes and Rupert Murdoch was that, and, and again, this is not knowing either person, uh, just looking at them from in the building, but from from you know more than arm's length. Uh, Roger Ailes was a media genius and an ideologue. Roger Ailes was a populist but very conservative guy. So Roger Ailes had an ideological agenda that he wanted to happen. He, he you know, he'd worked for Nixon. He yeah. wanted things to happen. Now he he was very media savvy. He was emphatic about visuals. Although N- Nixon, not exactly populist. Right? No, 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 no. And 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 for the record, I think uh, Roger Ailes. Um, really overplayed how much he influenced Nixon as well. Like, like when you talk, when you, when you, when you read his biography, it's like, he was like, like sitting like in reality, the Nixon administration hired him to like handle like, like advertisements or whatever. But nonetheless, though, he was, I says emphatically pro Republican. Yes. Um, and like a lot of people don't know, he, he started CNBC. Like he, he yeah. was the first president of CNBC. Um, so, uh, but he was he was he understood media at, at a like crazy savant level and at a kind of creepy level because he also had no problem uh, like, you know, put the women on the side, have like sh- so they, we can see their thighs. They need like we call it the leg chair. Right. That he was all that stuff. Right. But he did have an ideological agenda. Um, the impression I've always got from Murdoch is that Murdoch just wants to make money. Mur- Murdoch like so between uh, George W. Bush, excuse me, H.W. Bush and Bill Clinton. Yeah. Murdoch endorsed. Ross Perot. 
He yeah. like he liked the guy that was the game shaker. Possible that he's a populist or whatever we want to call Perot. But the the impression I've always had from Murdoch is that if Murdoch could make a buck off of a socialist network, he would have. Uh, he saw an opening in America. He he looked at the consensus and went, oh, the consensus is center left to far left. No one's doing right wing stuff. I'm going to do right wing stuff. But I I don't think Murdoch. I I think Murdoch would shift as necessary. Lachlan, by all accounts, is uh, more progressive, liberal, yeah. democratic, yeah. but I, I don't think he has the reins yet, and, well, and I'm not sure he ever will. I, I guess that, that that's the, the, the question that I would have is more like, is there anybody with Ailes's rigidity? Like, like that is when, when, when Trump screams and yells on Twitter about Donna Brazil having a job at Fox News, and he's like, it's all gone downhill since Roger Ailes, I think that's what he's talking about. He's talking about the idea that well, like, would Roger Ailes book Donna Brazil in a position where she wasn't just going to get shredded by Bill O'Reilly or shredded by Sean what, Hannity? What, what, what Roger Ailes would have done is he would have Ailes and other networks, too. This happened with Chelsea Clinton. Ailes liked to purchase people to keep other people from having them. So, like, what, yeah. Ailes, what Ailes would have done is... Uh, like, like you know, let, let's assume Pence steps down. And he doesn't really want him on TV. Ailes would have just given Pence $300,000 a year, and then he would have put him on air twice just to keep CNBC from having him. That And Chelsea Clinton had that exact deal with, with MSNBC or, or, or CNBC, I can't remember. Yeah. Um, and the other thing that Ailes would do is that Ailes, Ailes I, I, I think, um, based on my inferences, that Ailes liked to stack the deck as such where there is a – thick-necked former baseball player and or alpha male conservative and if we're going to have opposition to them make them a little bit squiggly looking yeah. like don't don't make them real attractive that way people at home can go oh man can you look like look at that guy that disagrees with our dude so like, so so literally hannity and combs yeah and like, like and i figured yeah. yeah i mean i i literally was talking about alan combs yeah alan combs kind of looked like a cat like he he wasn't he, he had a, bit, yeah. a touch of crypt R.I.P. And, and i'll say R. i was R. i was friends with alan combs like like alan combs like uh uh, there's a thing called Evergreen Diner, which is right next to Fox that went under here a couple of years ago. And like, uh, 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 Alan was nice enough to come get lunch with me and gave me career advice. One of the things that the last time I talked to Alan Combs, I said, uh, I, I seem to be very palatable to progressive Democrats. Like I can, I can, yeah. I can hang out with them. I was thinking maybe I can make a, a career out of being like the friendly free market guy on MSNBC. And Alan was like, do you write books? And I went, yeah. And he goes, don't do it. And I went, why? And he goes, do you think anybody at Fox wants to buy my books? And I went, oh, no. And he goes, yeah. And do you think anybody at NBC wants to talk to me about my books? No. Okay, don't do it then. Like, Alan was a great guy, so I, I don't want to say anything ill about him. I, I really liked him. Um, but, yes, I do think that that was part of the calculus, was that um, Ailes would intentionally take people that would, would either be bad talkers or that alternately just wouldn't be very attractive to stack up next to his the the outcome he wanted you to endorse. So so you don't think that the super good talker, uh, uh, a big personality black woman super Democrat would have fit in the Roger Ailes mosaic? It it might have. I mean, again, Roger Ailes was very good at what he did. He was very yeah. good at showmanship. So like I I'm unfamiliar with Donna Brazil as an on air personality. If Donna Brazil like brings it. And she's like, she, oh, she does. Then, then, she does. Then he'd yeah. book her because, like, like, like another uh, Ailes aphorism is: people don't turn, people don't tune away when conflict starts. They tune away when it gets boring. So if, if like yeah. Donna Brazil can like be on camera and be electrifying, he like, I, I think, um, okay, Rupert wants to make money. Yeah, and ideology is a distant second, right? 
Roger Ailes' ideology was front and center by like 53%, whereas making money is 47%. He still ranks real high that making money yeah. thing, right? So like if 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 Donna Brazil is going to be a star, he would put her on But he there. knew, I mean, I, I guess that's the thing is that it, it comes down to the brand and the brand matters. In fact, the brand matters more on Fox News than anybody else, so much so that both of the other competitors eventually had to develop brands that were in the orbit of Fox News. They all orbit them. Like yeah. MSNBC was the first with Keith Olbermann, and and then they tried to, they apparently wrestled back and forth with the NBC News division, which is like, Jesus Christ, like, can you please let us try to do our, like, NBC News? That actually means something. It's like a name in news, and MSNBC's like, whatever, we're doing whatever. Just give us all your talent that is, like, a, a name talent, and we're just going to put them on and mix them in with everybody. CNN, uh, specifically under Zucker and specifically under Trump, because Trump hated CNN, then CNN very willingly played into yeah. the, like, we are very important. The very important news. And you know that it's very important because Donald Trump hates it, which means that we're very important. The, I, I got to say, the relationship between Trump and the media is... Uh, a lot more convivial, or no, I shouldn't say that. It's a lot more mutually beneficial than people are aware of. So if you're watching CNN, you would think that everybody there hates Trump, and I suppose they do, but they make a lot of money off of Donald Trump. And even Fox, for that matter. I mean, like, I, I was there. We, we had a, a media blackout on Donald Trump because— Ailes, again, who had, like, I'm not defending Ailes, he had many, many problems with him. Yeah. There's a lot of issues with Roger Ailes. But a positive element to Roger Ailes was he was very loyal to people who worked for him, right? So when uh, Megyn Kelly is doing the uh, the first uh, primary debate within the Republican Party, yep. Ailes did a blackout. He, we, we all got a mandate. None of us are going to talk about Donald Trump. We can't talk about Donald Trump. And, uh, and, and that lasted for two or three weeks until... Trump called Ailes and they worked out a deal. Yeah. Uh, and I'll say if if Fox and CNN, if in 2015, 2016, they had said, we are not, we, we feel it is very important that all of the presidential candidates reveal their taxes uh, and we are not going to give them any airtime until they do that. And for that reason, we're not going to give any airtime to Trump that he would have been strangled in the cradle. And both Fox and CNN and all of the other outlets went, God damn, this is so good. God damn, we and they they could have they a hundred percent we could have stopped Trump from happening and we didn't. Well, or or he would have released some form of his taxes, or he would have Maybe. called and made that deal, right? Uh, uh, but but at the very least, like there was a there was leverage to be played uh, uh, between these two sides. Well, and like Moonvest was Moonvest was CBS, right? But Moonvest yeah. Moonvest like was like I hate Trump, but he's great for ratings. Like, oh, I'm I'm. I'm curious because right now Jeffrey Zucker is out there doing a backflip because CNN beat Fox in the ratings for this election week, right? Uh, 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 John King. And, and, I, I did not know that. That's huge because it's usually Fox represents all mainstream conservative media on primetime television, whereas the liberals have to contend with CNN, MSNBC, CBS, yeah. and NBC. So for CNN to do that's amazing. Nobody wanted to yub nub on any network other than CNN, or at least the, the people that were very excited about Trump losing. They were tuning into every little moment. Uh, I wonder what happens going forward. Because uh, if you look at the the ratings trends, the ratings trends through 2008 to 2012 was an overall decline. Mm -hmm. We had already seen 
the internet cannibalizing television news and uh, uh, it just being on the decline. The reason why uh, TV news went 24 seven on Trump because they were desperate. Like they were looking at another decline on 2012. If this was a Jeb Hillary thing, all of a sudden they had the story of the century. They assumed that like, all right, well, this will hot shot for a little bit. And then uh, it'll be the summer of shark we'll dust off our hands and, and then be done with it. And then we get four years of, of, of the Trump presidency. Now, whether or not you think that's a good or bad idea, the undeniable part is that he mattered. He mattered to these ratings. He mattered to these businesses. I wonder what happens now and, and what will really be the test is after all this, after even Neil Cavuto is cutting off Kaylee McEnany, if and when Donald Trump says he is running again in 2024, exactly how much do they cover him going forward? Because that, to me, is the litmus test. Uh, I'll say if I were going to take... If I were going to gamble on who's going to prevail over the next two years, Fox is in a really good position because we've got an incoming Biden administration. Historically, the people in the opposition and media do better because yeah. it's a lot better. And specifically with Fox's yeah. DNA is Fox, Bill O'Reilly bitching yes. about Bill Clinton. Exactly. Like, like when, when you're running the show, it's very difficult. If you're if you're a Democrat or Republican, it's difficult to, to like be running the show and be like, yeah, we're in charge of everything, but really, you whoa, you should listen to this because the oh man, some bad like they have to go. You know, like like they end up basically going. Um, uh, man, the opposition is keeping us from doing cool stuff. Yeah, and that's just not very interesting. Uh, now Trump was electrifying for media, regardless of where you were on it, because the whole media cycle became a uh, a a referendum on Donald Trump. Fox, I think, is going to do very well because they they can now, I think, in particular, be on the anti Kamala Harris train. Uh, but they'll also be on the anti-Biden train. I don't know how um, uh, CNN and MSNBC play this to their advantage, to be honest with you, because I'm, I'm not sure. I guess Mitch McConnell becomes the boogeyman or they just like treat Trump like the government in exile for the next two years, four years. That would be my prediction. Yeah. My prediction is that uh, uh, why stop the party? Like like it now it's impossibly it could be an even bigger news story. Yeah. If he runs again in Garfield's this shit. Yeah, plus like the other thing too is that like we like like uh, us us in the uh, us in the media sphere in journalism to to tip the deck for your audience, we're already doing a sleight of hand with Twitter. Like like uh, one of the stories that we covered when I when I first came into Fox Business was Miley Cyrus writing that wrecking ball. Yeah. And like the story was, "Oh, people are outraged. Miley Cyrus on a wrecking ball." No one cared. Like, like that, that entire, if you go back and watch that footage, literally any show that talked about that had to go on Twitter and search like Miley Cyrus angry. There was like six people out of 15 million people that, that cared. Yeah. And, and like, but they had to play it up because we wanted to, like, cause all of us knew, I'm not saying this was good, but all of us knew, oh, pop star that's naked. That's great. We want to talk about that. That's excellent B roll. That's really captivating. How do we talk about this thing yeah. that no one actually cares about? Let's, let's just drum up a fake controversy. If you've got um, Donald Trump actively tweeting and everybody knows who he is, that is a really good, basically fake controversy that you can wheel out whenever you want. Now, the question is, how do you reheat that after the last year was about, finally, we've put this fire out? Like, how, how does that spark up again when the last three years have been 
God, we got to wean ourselves off. Like this is all these networks are telling their largely liberal Trump uh, uh, oppositionist audiences like, I mean, we got to cover them, but geez. Oh, God, I swear. I'm going to get clean. I'm going to get clean. Yeah, no, Eventually, they, I'm going to get that's, clean. That's and be... now they're in rehab. Yeah. Like, and like they're like they're weaning themselves off. They're like, I swear to God, I'm not. I, I, I Look, you watch me. I turned off Kaylee McEnany. I turned yeah. off Kaylee McEnany. I'm weaning myself off. How do they ramp that back up if, if that's the story that they have told their audience? That's a question. Uh, well, and, and if I might return to the whole media culpability thing for a moment, um, again, I was there in 2016. I'm watching the election happen, and I saw this real time and noticed this trend. Whenever Trump started dropping down to the polls, and it happened, you know, there was a moment where Ben Carson was leading all this stuff. In it, Iowa, yeah. Right. Um, whenever he dropped down to the polls, he would say something batshit crazy. Yeah. He, he'd go in and, like, you know, I will hang Rosie O'Donnell from a tree. And I knew it was happening, and we did it anyway. We, like, we we went— it's just so good. And everybody in media did it. Fox did it. CNN did it. If if the media had refused to play ball, if the media had refused to snort that cocaine, he wouldn't have got $200 million in free free media advertising. But now, now on the other side, though, how on earth can you turn away from somebody who's a meteor in politics? We've never seen somebody get that popular that I mean, fast and act that crazy. Like, like I think that this is how we're going to wrap it up. Because we began this story saying that we're the media and we're going to talk about the main character, the media. The people loved Donald Trump. The media certainly covered this story. And you can say that there's a self-perpetuating cycle. But I don't believe that if the media had knocked it off and stopped covering it and stopped covering the rallies and stopped covering when he said crazy stuff, that that would have been the end of it. Not in a world of social media where this is going to live and eventually it's going to break through because somebody's going to cover it and someone's going to take advantage of it. Uh, I, I do think that part of that phenomenon was irrepressible. And if it starts up again, it might very well be for a second time. I respectfully disagree with you. I think that Trump was able to use the media as a. Uh, I, I I know you're going to censor this. I don't know how to phrase this any better than like a hate. <laughs> he was able to have a hate with the media. Uh, like like uh, what, what what shall I say that you're not going to censor the movie? That's fine. Go ahead. That fine? I already got to censor. Yeah. Uh. But but he but he figured out that like if he said stuff that the media hates. And they would just talk about it endlessly. And and I'll say this as my as my final piece of advice to to your your listenership. This is this is my ending advice from Lord Uncle Heaton yeah. to you. Yeah. The media can't tell you what to think. It can tell you what to think about. And Trump was able to hijack that of being able to think about me constantly and it was good business and it was great for him and uh i suspect that the next few years um grandpa uh, president grandpa that we're about to inaugurate is going to be trying to give everybody benadryl and i think the media will be trying to give people red bull because that's where the money is my closing thought is this i agree with a hundred percent of what you said i just think that you're focused on the wrong end of it the wrong link in the chain Trump didn't control the media. He controlled what the media looked at. By controlling Twitter, you control the media without actually doing anything. Like, like to say that he controlled the media is like he had a secret deal or like, like 
anybody like Jeffrey Zucker or even Roger Ailes or, or whoever runs MSNBC uh, had a choice. They didn't. As if everybody in your workforce walks in on, on at 9 a.m. and says, well, obviously the biggest story is this thing that we all retweeted on Twitter. We all liked on Twitter. Then what are you going to do? Like if you don't have anybody outside that bubble and nobody in the media is outside the social media bubble, then he doesn't have to control them directly. He can just make the biggest splash where he makes the biggest splash on Facebook and, and Twitter. And now everybody's talking about it. And in a world where the media has less of a control over exactly what the story is, because the biggest story is always going to be what's happening on social media, then Trump is there. Now, if social media steps in to censor it, as they have been, that's a different story. But also, at what point do they lose control? Because I don't think that anybody in 24-hour news said, oh, my God, we've lost control. It just happened. And that's what happens in media in general. Uh, uh, I, I, I can't believe that this is going to be the last time yeah. that you will hear Andrew Heaton live here in Oakland, at least for this, this 2020 election season but uh, uh let me just say this it has been an honor and a privilege uh to have you here uh i know the audience has loved it dearly the fact that you've just totally out of school sold out shepherd smith and alan combs <laughs> is 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 your final gift to our audience that's right uh, just dancing on alan's grave just, that's very much totally the telling yeah. stories like like totally out of school uh uh Honestly, it's been uh, uh, the best. Thank you so much for coming out here. My pleasure. Thank you very much. And that'll wrap it up for us today. Thank you to the Ice Cream Social Podcast. Thank you to Andrew Heaton. Hopefully you felt the emotion at the end there. Oh, I'm so sad he's going. There'll be more collabs, though. More collabs in the future. And... It'll all be because you guys support us at TakePoliticsSeriously.com, including those that are on our Titanic $10 tier, including Lord Generic Frenchman, Dr. G, Jacob Wilson, Dallas Danger, Taylor, Zombie Doc, Gazer Beam, Utah Jimmy Montana, Captain Bunzo, Cujo, Tally, Richard, Crookie McCrookface, Justin Ryan Egan, D-Laser, Matt, who called from labor and delivery, Starfleet for Biden, Jason with Magnolia Delta Credit Card Processing, Catherine, nobody expects the Dismal Science Podcast. Katie, vote for Joe Biden 2020. Rob, vote for Gloria Young 2020. Thanks for voting for Trump 2020. Martin, government unfiltered. Neil, Archie, Darren, Daily Tech News Show, Adam, David, Jacob, DL, Steven. Kyle, Chad, Miranda, Jenny, Robert, Paul, the most conscientious nonpartisan listeners. Dustin, David, Ed the Goose, just another pilot, middle aged Mike, the Jen, MacBook Bro, Leon, Frozen, Summers, and J Pink, Andrew, Matthew, and James. You want to join their ranks? Head on over to takepoliticsseriously.com. You want to follow. Everything in the politics, politics, politics universe. It's not just a, po a podcast. We also got a five-day-a-week newsletter. We also got live streams on Twitch.tv. You just want to know when all that stuff happens? You want to read it on Twitter? PX3 Tweets is 
where you go. Come on over. Follow the new account. Clips from the live stream. Links to the newsletter. And of course, each and every episode of this very show. Till next time, this is your old pal Justin Robert Young saying some shows talk about politics, others talk about politics, and still more talk about politics. But this is the only program that dares talk about Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. (laughs) Dog and Pony Show Audio.